Starting on June 3rd, we are going to be combining our 11 o'clock and our 9 o'clock services into one, and it's going to be at 10 a.m. Everybody say 10 a.m. So we are excited. It's going to be a little full in here, but that's okay, because we really believe that it's a time for us to connect. We see a lot of ebbs and flows in kind of um, just the community because of summer, because of vacations and all that fun stuff. And so we really believe that this is going to be a great way for us to kind of huddle as a community. And you're going to get to meet some people that come to the 9 a.m., right? And, uh, and we're going to connect over the summer that way. So um, basically, I believe that is in two weeks, right? Two weeks from today, it is going to be one service at 10 a.m. So if you show up at 9 o'clock, we're putting you to work. And if you show up at 11, we're going to be like, peace, like we're out, you know? But... 10 o'clock is the sweet spot. You guys got it? Cool, cool, cool. All right, at this point in time, I'm going to go ahead and love the kids out of the room. I'm going to count to three, and they're going to run out. Here we go. One, two, three. Awesome. So, all right, so did anybody get up yesterday at uh, like 5 o'clock in the morning to watch the old uh, Harry and Meghan or Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Alanis Morissette? Uh, wedding. Um, so that's the big news. No, did anybody get up yesterday morning? Oh my goodness. I saw somebody post uh, that they were like over like British things in 1776, which I thought was kind of funny, but a little, there's a little venom in that, right? Like, whoa. But uh, you're, you're kind of viewing some of the like highlights from the wedding yesterday. And this is a big deal, right? I mean, such a big deal. Um, somebody said there, I don't know, maybe somebody in the room knows this, but there was, I mean, like, $40 million spent on it or something crazy or millions of dollars. I mean, don't quote me on that, but this is just out of control, right? I mean, amazing. And, and on the um, highlights yesterday afterwards, I mean, I didn't get up early, but they were interviewing people that were there and they were just saying how amazing it was and they had gone by on the carriage and stuff and they were just like, oh my goodness, it was beautiful, the dress, and oh, it was so amazing, and all that, and that's great, right? And I, and I think, I mean, it's historic, I get that, you know, I mean, you know, uh, somebody said this is the marriage of, you know, two people who will never be king or, or queen, but, um, you know, this is, this is great, right? I mean, it's a highlight, but there's also some other awesome, like, weddings that happen, right? I mean, um, Rachel Zumhagen and Aaron Makotis got married just last month, and they're here today. I don't know. I don't know if you got up at 5 o'clock in the morning to watch their televised wedding or not, but, I mean, you missed it if you didn't. I mean, it was amazing. Um, and then we also have, looking forward, we have um, Jacob Tripp and Taylor Bordewick. Jacob is now a youth pastor in Indianapolis, and they're going to get married next month, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. I love doing weddings. I love it. Um, they're just, there's a lot happier than funerals. Um, but weddings are awesome. And I get to like do a message part where I get to kind of challenge. I mean, I, I know this is weird to say, but I married Nicole and Eric, right? I didn't marry you, but I officiated your wedding, right? So just to be clear, but it, these are just fun things to be able to do. And this morning we had an engaged couple in the, in the service uh, Sarah Albertson and Ryan Champlin, just newly engaged, all happy, showing off the ring. It's like super shiny and everything. It's awesome. And in my message at the wedding, what I, I always do is I always like really highlight the fact that, you know, 
the, the whole wedding language that we see, we see it all over scripture. And so many times it's this relationship and that's being reflected that's between Jesus and the church and, and Jesus and his bride. And it's so amazing, the imagery. And, and we talk about the fact, and I talk about the fact that, you know, um, uh, a marriage is really designed by God to be a reflection of Jesus and the church. And it kind of takes it to a whole other level, right? I mean, the beauty of marriage becomes now a reflection of Jesus and the church. And I say this to the groom. I'll say something to the effect of, you know, sometime in the future, someone may come up to you and say, you know, Eric, I never really understood how Jesus loved me and how he loves me until I saw the way that you love Nicole. And then I'll say to the bride, I'll say, Nicole, you know, someone might come up to you someday and say, you know what, I never really understood how much, how devoted I could be to Jesus until I saw the way that you're devoted to Eric. And there's this, there's this kind of like beautiful imagery and this beautiful symbolism that we see and that our, our marriages can, um, can kind of communicate. Um, just so you guys know, um, today is not a marriage talk. And all, everybody's like, whew, let's go. Or is it a marriage talk? I don't know, you decide later. But here's the thing, after all the celebration and everything, you know, somebody asked me after I first got married, which is going to be 23 years in July, thank you very much, that after that, after, right after I got married, Melanie, what, what people would ask me, say, hey, how's married life? And I would say, hey, after, now that I'm married, I, I know what, what true happiness really is. And it's too late. That's a joke, all right? It was a joke. But there's a little bit of truth to that, right? I mean, there's a little bit of truth because what, um, even in the, um, in the student group, we watched a video uh, just a few weeks ago, and in that, they kind of interview. It's about love and about relationships. And um, they talk to all these married couples that have been married for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, and they ask the spouses separately, and they ask them, and say, hey, you know, when you said yes, when you said I do, and when you said yes to this relationship, this marriage, did you know what you were saying yes to? And everyone says, nope, didn't know. And why is that? It's because, like, after a few months, after a few years, something seems to change. Close your ears, Rachel and Aaron, all right? Something seems to change, and and it's like the wonder. This is all about, the season is all about discover the wonder. And so the wonder that we see in a wedding, like the royal wedding, or the wedding that I'll do next month, or that we did last month, that those things, the wonder of all that seems to wear off, and we, we realize, like, this is hard. This is difficult. Like, this is not easy stuff. And and, and man, we get into a mode where we might even just kind of like go through the routine of just being together and not really having any wonder anymore about the beauty of what this relationship could be. And there's a lot of reasons for that, right? There's a lot of reasons for that. But I think one of the things that we do that's probably not good is that we lower our expectations so that we can cope with what we're experiencing. We, we, we lower our expectations of that relationship so that we don't get our hopes up, right? That we don't think, oh, well, this is what it's going to be. It's going to be a picture book, wedding and marriage until death to us part, happily ever after. And then the reality is not that way, so we lower our expectations. 
And I think that that's what today's message is about. It's about the idea that we have lowered our expectations when it comes to God and the wonder of God and all the awesomeness. And last week we talked about the wonder of Jesus being our defender. And, and I think that when we lose the wonder of God is when we fall asleep and we become numb to the amazing things that God is doing in our life. And one of the most amazing things that he wants to do in our life is he wants to bring the unexpected goodness to our life. God is a God of the unexpected. And when we lower our expectations, we basically expect the worst and we never expect the unexpected. We never expect that God is going to show up. I have faith, I have trust that God is going to show up in a powerful way. And we kind of lose the wonder of who God is. We sing the songs at the end of the service, and they simply, man, they might be on our lips, and we might be kind of into it while it's happening, but man, as soon as we leave, our wonder and our amazement has died out, even before we get to our car. I've got kind of like a loose definition of the wonder of God, and um, the wonder of God, this is probably kind of organic as we go through this season, but it's kind of that unexpected moment of awakening that, that makes us curious to know God more. And I believe those thin places where heaven is a little closer to earth, where we sense God's presence a little bit more closely, like these are the times when we have these moments that awaken us to be more curious about knowing God or about worshiping God or about investigating God or about discovering God or about asking God tough questions or about discussing those questions about God with him and with others. It's about in investigating, exploring, and diving deeply into God because there's always more. And the wonder kind of goes away. But there's these moments, right? There's these moments when the wonder of God, that it, it awakens us to that curiosity. And I hope today that through one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever told in Luke, that we would maybe awaken the wonder of Jesus in our hearts today. So um, I'm going to ask if I could um, have help Donna with Bibles. This would be amazing. I would love for you to turn on your phones or in an actual Bible to Luke chapter 10. And Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to hang out for a little bit. So just raise your hand if you'd like a Bible. She is helping get those handed out. And before we look at Luke chapter 10, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for what you're doing in our life. Lord, we're, pretty, we're being pretty real today in the fact that we do lower our expectations when it comes to your, your world and your, your work in us. And so, God, as we open up your word, Holy Spirit, we ask that you teach us in a new and different way. God, we love you in Jesus' name. So Luke chapter 10 Verse 25 looks like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a question that Jesus was asked many times through the Gospels. You can see this um, throughout the Gospels and that this is a very common question because people were very concerned about this idea of what would happen after they die. Jesus replies, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the guy answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. He had the Sunday school answer ready to go. 
He was like, Jesus, I got you. Let me quote some Deuteronomy 6 for you. This is exactly what you're looking for, man. Oh, and let me throw in a little bit of this, a little love your neighbor as yourself too. And so he was all ready for that. But he see, he wanted to justify himself and what he was doing. And so Jesus asked, and who, who is my neighbor? He asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said this, and this is the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. And so too, a Levite, he, was, he saw the man, and he passed on the other side too. Now the priest would have been a descendant of Aaron. He would have been in charge of the temple and all that was going on. A Levite would have been a descendant of Levi, and he would not have been a descendant of Aaron, but he would have been helping in the temple. And so these two guys see this guy that's ailing, that's hurt, that's beat up and half dead along the road, and they, follow, they, they go on the other side of the road like, nope. But then something unexpected happens in the story. And Jesus says, but a Samaritan, a Samaritan would have been a person who was scorned, who was outcast, who was somebody who was considered by the Jews, the elite, to say, you're a half-breed, you're half-Jew, half-Gentile, you are not okay, you're not one of us. As he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, or had compassion on him, or had mercy on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine, and then when... Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And Jesus says this, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, so look at this parable. You kind of got to understand a few things. Number one, this is classic guilt trip sermon material, right? I mean, this is like, okay, so this guy, the good Samaritan, is the one that goes and helps the guy that's hurting. And now, are you a good Samaritan? Jesus said, go and do likewise. So how are you doing? Has anybody passed anybody by that's been needy lately? And everyone's like, okay, fine, I'm a worm, right? I, I, I'm the worst at this. This is, I can't do it. I feel horrible. I'll try to do better this week. Now, that whole conversation, I don't really like the way that that's going, but I'm going to tell you that there's some importance to that because Jesus did say go and do likewise, and there's a thought there that I have, but it's still later. So hold that thought. But I want to talk about this parable in a different way, and we've prayed to ask God to open our eyes to something different about this parable, and I think that he's going to. You see, what you've got to understand about this is that the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was 17 miles long. And that while you were on that road, you would descend from about 2,500 feet above sea level to about 825 feet below sea level. So you're going down over 3,000 feet in elevation. And you're traveling through cliffs and canyons and tight spots and you're getting down and you're finally getting there 17 miles later. They would call this the bloody way. 
And the reason they would talk about it that way is because there are lots of nooks and crannies for robbers and thieves and bad guys to hide. And it's a common place where they would get jumped and they would, they would get after people and rob them just like this story goes. And so Jesus was relating to that crowd and he came together with a crazy unexpected Samaritan character that would be the hero of the story. So as you think about this, this is the deal. I mean, the, the priest, he, he comes along and he looks at the guy and he's like, no, I can't, I can't deal with that and walks on the other side of the road and so does the Levite. Well, what's interesting about what they were doing is that they were really abiding by the law. They knew that if they cared for that guy and he died while they were holding him or, or trying to mend him, that they would be disqualified from working in the temple for seven days. They would not be able to do their jobs because there's a purification ritual that would have to happen after that for touching a dead body. And so what they did is they elevated the purity law above the love your neighbor law. And what Jesus is teaching us through this whole idea in in the, the, the plain reading of the text is that people are more important. How many of you guys like that? The sound of that? Yeah? Like, anybody been a victim of a rule? Yeah, like you would have been that, if you were that guy dying on the side of the road and someone's like, sorry, man, can't touch you because, I mean, you know, my job, you know? Like, no, people are more important. It's like silly, right? But this is how sometimes people are are depicted. All right, so I want to just, like, drive this home a little bit. So I need five volunteers to act this out. I need some robbers. I need a priest, I need a Levite, I need a guy that's willing to get beat up, and I need an innkeeper, all right? So I need five. All right, Melanie, let's hear from Melanie. She's coming up here, awesome. Because you are the brave first soul, you get to pick who you'd like to be. Levite, priest, innkeeper, Samaritan. You're gonna be a Samaritan, oh, I like it, I like it, cool, 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 all right. She can't do this alone, people. All right, come on up, come on up. If you're down, just come on up. All right. These lights are so bright. Is that Valerie? Yeah. Oh, come on over. All right. So who, who do you want to be? Uh, Innkeeper, Levite, priest, or a robber? Ooh, going to be the robber. All right. Guys, we're going to be here till like 2 o'clock, man. This is, this is crazy. This is why we're going to go to 10 a.m. Come on up, Kate. All right, man, the ladies are coming in strong. Let's go, Jonathan, Caleb, let's go. All right, Kate, who do you want to be? Innkeeper. Innkeeper, good. All right, who are you guys? Levi. You're a Levite? You're going to be the priest. All right, cool, cool, cool. I'm going to be the narrator, all right? Do we want any more, any more robbers, or are we just going to leave her on her own? Come on, be a robber. Yeah, she's got it. All right, so I'm going to go down here. Um, we're just going to, I'm going to read the story. So where's our person that gets beat up? Do we have that person yet? Oh, we need that person. We need someone that gets, gets beat up. That's what you get. If you volunteer someone, if you volunteer someone, just beware, you might get volunteered for. Hey, you had your chance, all right? So here we go. All right, so just, let's just see how they do. Now this, okay, we'll talk about it later. All right, just see how they do. All right, a man was going down, let's say a woman was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
when he was attacked by robbers. Now you get, now you need to go. Go ahead. Yep, you're going down on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho when she was attacked by robbers. Oh my gosh. They, all right, good, good. All right, they stripped her of her clothes. Let's keep this family friendly. All right. Oh, so they took the shoes, beat her with her shoes, and went away leaving her half dead. All right, good. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the woman, he passed by on the other side because it's his birth. <laughs> because it's Jonathan's birthday today, and he has a birthday party to go to. Happy birthday, Jonathan! He's 14. All right. Then, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw her, passed by on the other side as well, because Caleb is going to Jonathan's birthday party. All right. No help there. But a Samaritan, as she traveled, came where she was, and when she saw her, she took pity on her. She went to him, and, or her, and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then she put the woman on her own donkey, brought her to an inn, and took care of her. The next day, she took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. The innkeeper is making you walk all the way over there. Awesome. She is like, I am not going on stage. That's literally backstage, Kate. Okay. Look after him, she said. Oh, look at that, the drama. Okay, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Awesome, give, them, give it up for these guys, these gals. Guys, it makes you, uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep those here. So it makes it harder to do that story when it's all girls, but I, I tried my best. Um, so that's a classic way to teach scripture, if you um, don't know that. It's, a, it's actually a classic way to teach anything, really. But here's the, what happened. You've heard that story three times. I'm pretty sure at lunch you're not going to forget that story. Because I read it to you, I paraphrased it, and we just acted it out. Did they do a good job? It's decent, right? So here's, here's the classic thing. The classic thing is that we see the Samaritan as the person that we're supposed to be. And I want you to kind of turn a little bit because if you think about it, here's what happens in that story. The priest says, nope. The Levite says, nope. After the robbers beat that person up and the Samaritan says, yes. The Samaritan says, yes. When the robbers took, the Samaritan gave. When the robbers beat the guy up, the Samaritan bandaged him. When the robbers left the guy for dead, never to return, the Samaritan cared for him and promised to return. Who does that sound like? Jesus. The turn that I want you to see is that consider for a moment that the Samaritan is Jesus. You see, the Samaritan would have been the outcast, would have been the one that was ridiculed, would have been the one that was not okay. And if you know anything about Jesus' story, is he was the one that was the outcast. He was the one that was not okay, according to the religious elite. And when we start to see ourselves, not as the Samaritan first, but as the person along the road, it changes the story. 
when we understand and see that, man, maybe, maybe what it's all about today is that I need to first and foremost understand that Jesus is the good Samaritan and that I might need some healing from the good Samaritan. I might need to acknowledge some things in my life that I might be sitting or laying half dead along the road, broken with a broken heart or a broken leg or a broken arm or a concussion. And all of those things may be things that symbolically mean that I might be needing healing for some part of my mind or some part of my body or some part of my soul. And what I'm going to tell you today is that you have to start with Jesus healing you first. Because if you try to heal someone when you're broken, it doesn't go real well, right? So if I'm broken and I'm hurting and I'm struggling and I need healing and I've got a broken leg and my arm has fallen off and I've got concussions and an eye that's poked out and then Sarah comes over here and is walking, I'm like, hey, um, I can't really do anything, but I see you, you got crutches, you know, I know how to fix that. Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, why would anybody do that? But don't we do that every day? Like, we, we like, compartmentalize and park all of our struggles and garbage and things that we really don't want God to really, really don't want to talk about to God. And we then say, oh, look, this person's hurting. Let me go help them. Let me just say time out. Don't be the good Samaritan until you allow the good Samaritan to heal you. And that healing might take some time. Like you're looking at a guy right now, you're looking at a guy right now that is in the process of healing from past brokenness, from past stuff in history. And guess what? My prayer is, is that so are you. Because all of us have history. All of us have struggles. All of us have dark spots in our past that we need healing from. And that healing is a process. So you're looking at a guy who's in the process of healing. And I'm hoping that you are too. Let me tell you, um, we, we're expanding our, our growth group team. And Rachel Gilmore has started helping write the content for the, for the discussion guides and stuff. And it's amazing because we're creating our own content around these things. And she brings in this thought that compassion and mercy and the difference, because compassion is really kind of seen in this because it's really defined as having sympathy or sorrow for someone. Like, oh, I'm sorry that that's happening to you. I'm sorry you got beat up alongside the road. The priest and the Levite, they may have had compassion for the guy, but they didn't have mercy because mercy is when we act out on the compassionate feeling, on the compassionate thought, where we actually say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bandage. And when you think about, when you think about Jesus as the good Samaritan, now we're seeing that he just doesn't have sympathy for you guys. He doesn't have sympathy for me alone. He doesn't say, oh, I'm so sorry that you got beat up by all those people. He says, you know what? I'm going to act out, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to heal bandage, and I'm going to return. I'm going to leave you with my presence in the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to leave you forever. I'm coming back. This is the Jesus. He actually, the Samaritan, he actually, he had to, the, the guy that helps, the, 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 the beat up guy, the Samaritan, he had to know that guy's name. I mean, it's not in the parable, right? But I mean, somebody that's like that connected to him, that, that helpful to that guy, 
He had to have, know his name. Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows exactly what brokenness you have in your life. And he knows how to heal a broken leg or arm that's fallen off or eye that's poked out or a, com- or a concussion. He understands and knows. He knows how to heal the emotions. He knows how to heal your body. He knows how to heal your thoughts and all the things that you're going down with your thinking. He knows how to do that. And so many times what we want to do, either we're like just packing those things down and we don't want to talk to God about it, I want to help someone else because that makes me be able to avoid the issue. Or we say, yeah, you know what, I've got issues, but let me tell you, um, it's my spouse, that's the problem. If they would just change, then everything would be okay. Really? Sounds like you might have a heart issue too. Or man, you know what, if my counselor would just tell me what I need to hear, then everything would be okay. If I could just have my family member do this, or if I could have my spouse do that, or my counselor say this, or if I could take that pill, or if I could maybe have this mindset, or this lifestyle, or this amount of money, and you look everywhere you can for healing, but you don't go to Jesus, you don't go to the Father and say, Jesus, I need the good Samaritan to help me out alongside the road because I'm beat up, I'm worn down, I'm emotionally broken. I've been lied to, spit on, and thrown out by a bunch of people, and now I'm here going, where's all these people that are supposed to help me? People will always let you down. Your emotions will always trick you, and they will always be broken. I'm telling you, your soul is weak, but Jesus knows, and he is the source for your healing. If there's anything you hear from me today, it's the fact that there's nothing else that I can do. I talked to a buddy of mine after church, and I was like, man, I know the situation is garbage. I know what's happening is going through. He said, Joe, it's hard to trust Jesus. I said, I know, but I said, there's nothing I can do for you because he is the only thing I can, I can point you to. He's the only one. He's the only one that can be your source. And as you put your trust in him for that healing, he begins to heal. And I don't know what's going to happen with the other people. And I don't know what's going to happen with the rest of your life. But I know right now that what God wants is God wants to heal you. But he wants to do it, not anybody else. I think we get the sequence wrong, right? I think we get the, secret, the sequence wrong. But I want you to just ask this question. Because I can't answer it. It's this. What does healing look like for you when it comes to your mind? I can't answer that question. When it comes to your thinking, your thought life, the, thought life, the, the ruts that your brain has created, when it comes to, to your thoughts, what does healing look like for you? What does healing look like for your body? What does it look like for you? I don't know. You have to answer that question. What does healing look like for your soul? Only you can answer that question. Where are you with your soul? Because like last week, I said, the one thing that we all want, we talked about Jesus as our defender, and we know that, man, the one thing that we want is we want to be defended, we want to be safe, we want to be protected, and really what we want today is we want our soul to be healed. And that's what Jesus knows. Deep down inside, man, before you get to the mind and the body, your soul needs to be healed and be strong. And when that happens, things begin to change. When you begin to realize what God has done for you and you trust him for the healing of your mind, body, and soul. So why do I think that this is important to think about 
the Samaritan as Jesus and us as the broken person alongside the road. And that that sequence is that Jesus is our healer. And the wonder of that, the wonder that God would come down and he would bend down and he would know you and he would want and choose to heal you and bandage you and put you back on your, your, his own donkey, his, your own feet to be able to heal you. It's because of 2 Corinthians 1. And then when you couple these two together, you, you, help, you start to understand. It says this, Praise be to the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, there's that word, and the God of all comfort, who comforts who? Everyone say it. Us. Who comforts us in all of our troubles. He comforts us in all of our troubles. What? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Jesus, and man, we don't like that, right? So also our comfort abounds through Christ. The sequence has got to get right, guys. The sequence and the thing that I can tell you based on this and based on the Good Samaritan is that this is the sequence, guys. And my hope is that you would do the work to allow Jesus to heal you and whatever that looks like today. The band can come up. And as we get ready to go to music, I would ask you just to take the next few minutes to allow yourself to evaluate where you're at and the areas where Jesus needs to heal you and give you your shoes back. <laughs> but where does Jesus need to heal you? And I think the biggest thing for me is that you would pray a very simple prayer that before you choose to trust any person or anything else, that you simply pray this prayer, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. Because on the other side of that trust and on the other side of that healing is a freedom and grace and an amazing new creation of life. Yes, your new creation now. Yes, if you've chosen to put Jesus first, he is creating you new. Yes, absolutely. But boy, there still might be some baggage. There might be some healing that's needed. There might need to be a painful conversation. There might need to be um, a, a step of faith that you need to take. I don't know what it is, but over the next few minutes as we sing, would you just choose and ask yourself, are, are you willing to pray that prayer and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you for the healing that I need. Let's go ahead and stand. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we ask God that you would be our healer. Lord, that we would recapture the wonder of what it means for us to be healed by you, God, by the maker of the universe that is so immense that you still have the ability to minister to us on such a personal level. God, as we sing these songs, may they not be lyrics on a screen, but may they be the cries of our heart. And may we just simply pray, Lord, I trust you for my healing. So we're going to sing that one last time before we go. Aaron, I'm going to ask you to pray us out after that, okay? Um, 
So there was a, a time when I was hurting very, very bad. Um, and I was sitting in a, a chair in a room much like this. And um, man, I was just, I was surrounded by people that love Jesus. And man, I just was dying, man. I was dying. And no one ever like pushed me to Jesus. In that moment, I mean, I was struggling. I was just hurting hard, man. And no one pushed me to Jesus. And, and I got there eventually. I've got there. But it took a while. It took a long time. And so I'm not going to let another, another day go by where we have a, a, a word like this that I can't make this stuff up. And I don't want you to leave without that push. So here's your push. Uh, let me be the push for you today. Because I know what's on the other side. It's freedom. It's healing. It's goodness. So let's bow our heads. If you're here today and you're like, Joe, I, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting Jesus for a healing. Mind, body, soul. I don't know what that is. That's up to you. But if that's you, just raise your hand right now. Just raise your hand right now. You're saying, I'm not trusting people. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm not trusting anybody else, anything, any person, but I'm trusting Jesus. All right, now, hold your hand up. And I want you to continue to trust Jesus right now. Don't give up on Jesus. I want those that are not raising their hand to find someone that's raising their hand because this is the best part of the parable. This is the best part of 2 Corinthians, is when the people of God come around those that are trusting for healing. So really, right now, if you're not raising your hand, go find someone, just put your hand on their shoulder and let them know that there is a community around them that's gonna hold them up, that they're gonna be able to trust God for the healing. We got a couple people that need hands on a shoulder. Just hold it up, hold it up. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, God, because we're going to come to you first for our healing. Lord, we need the Good Samaritan to find us along the road where the 99 are gone and the one is alone. That is me today. That is me today. And I need you to heal me, Lord. And so, Lord, we just ask right now that those that have their hands raised up, that you would increase their faith, you would increase their trust, would be, allow them to just focus solely on you. And when the dark day comes, they won't ever worry about it, other people and what they're saying, but they will keep their eyes focused on you and trust you with who they are so they can become who you want them to become. Lord, we love you for this. And we love you for the community that's around us to hold us up in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
thank you for teaching us to be receptive to your voice. Lord, we need guidance. Lord, we trust you. We trust you more than we trust anybody or anything, Lord. And if we don't, teach us, because we need to learn, Lord. We want to learn. Lord, we love you so much. God, we praise you for what you've done. We praise you. Can we just give God a hand? We praise you. Thank you for what you've done today. You have been so good. Please continue to keep us attentive to you and your goodness and where you are leading us. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Have an amazing week.